Good evening and welcome to Colour of Film. Tonight we're going to talk about Moonlight, a film by Barry Jenkins which premiered in 2016 and won several awards including Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture Drama, Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor and Best Adapted Screenplay and the Oscar for Best Picture. It was the first film with an all-black cast to win the Oscars, the first LGBTQ-related film to win the Oscar and Joe McMillan was the first black woman to be nominated for an editing Oscar and Ali became the first Muslim to win an acting Oscar. Pretty impressive, right? The film is an adaptation of an unpublished autobiographical play by Terrell Alvin McCarney, who, which is called Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue. And Jenkins and McCarney both had very similar life experiences growing up in Miami and bring to Sharon's story a hypersensitivity and incredible emotional baggage, I think. The film shows this transition of a boy from childhood into adulthood, showing in a very simple and unpretentious manner how basically history repeats itself. Little is this kid which, who's, named, who's nicknamed Little, um, his actual name is Sharon, and starts, he starts his journey as a little black gay boy who lives in a neighborhood which is very poor and has a crack addicted mother. We then see him grow up into this very skinny, shy teenager who's wrestling with his identity, sexuality and extreme bullying. Um, however, at the end, he transforms, and it's literally like a transformation, into black. The epitome of male masculinity, a strong, built, uh, gym-built, butch macho with gold teeth grills uh, who's just come out of prison and um, is a drug dealer. It's a beautiful coming-of-age story unfolding many different aspects of masculinity, especially black masculinities, the difficulties, beauties and crudeness of it. I think the fact that Terrell and Jenkins both grew up in Liberty City House in Complex where the film is set and openly state in interviews that both their mothers had a raging addiction to crack cocaine makes this film even more powerful to me for some reason. I researched that um, it's quite common in Miami in the 1980s to, ha um, to have an addiction as uh, there was an epidemic of crack cocaine as majority of the cocaine being shipped to the US was landing in Miami and the distribution of it was mainly in black neighborhoods, which meant during this time, the homicide rate of black young males more than doubled. In a way, this story is a piece of history, which today is still very important. It's, it's interesting reading about the consequences of this epidemic and how it had, the consequences it had on the black male community in America, as studies say that it had long-run consequences for crime long after the 1980s, and some studies say that 8% of murders in 2000s are due to long-run effects of the crack markets and is one of the reasons why there is a significant gap in the life expectancy between black and white males in the US. However, going back to the story, Jenkins says in an interview that to him this is a story, uh, is a coming of age story. It's a story about the idea of masculinity, about the performance of masculinity, and the conversation of nature versus nurture, and how people can begin to perform what they think the world is expecting of them. And this is literally quoted from an interview. Again, I quote, in the adult story, he, there is this rocked up big man. And in the first story, there's this little kid who likes to dance like Michael Jackson. And to look into this grown man's eyes and still see that child, Jenkins says, instead of making it in an intellectual discussion about the performance of masculinity, we actually show it. That this person begins as one thing, and then to survive in this world, he literally... Has to build, he has to build this literal muscular armature to protect himself from having to deal with being vulnerable.
Thoreau calls this film, I quote, a beautiful nightmare. And Jenkins says in a podcast, the Filmmakers Toolkit podcast, that I quote, he tried to paint this nightmare with beautiful tones. Set in a sunny Miami neighborhood filled with bright pastel colors, tropical nature, the film is absolutely stunning in terms of cinematography and colors. Jenkins says that they wanted to bring out, I quote, bright contrast and the beauty of Miami. Tension is inherent in the environment. Beautiful pastels, pinks and oranges, blues and greens. The grass is so rich because it rains so much. We wanted to embrace the tension of that beauty juxtaposed with the very dark things that are happening to the characters in the story. Interestingly, when asked if he was afraid of making a film that was visually so lush with such a heavy subject matter, Jenkins replied no, because it would have been immoral to subdue the beauty of the world where they grew up, just in service of what we think the aesthetics of a neoliberalist tale should be. In fact, they moved away from the more common, realistic look most social indie films have to show the reality of it, plainly, just as it was, a beautiful setting to a horrible reality. The film was shot on Aria Lexta, 120 frames per second, 4K 3D, to give a sense of hyper-reality. James Laxton, the director of photography, chose the camera for being the best at rendering natural skin tones. They used anamorphic lenses, but reverted their normal use of allowing multiple characters in the same widescreen frame, and instead they used it for the opposite effect, to show the character alone in this vast frame to emphasize their loneliness and isolation. Laxton says, I quote, it's a format, a kind of lens that is associated with large blockbuster movies like Star Trek and Star Wars. It's for grand stories with big scope thoughts. Maybe subconsciously we chose it for Moonlight in an effort to depict this community in a brand new light. Laxton wanted the actor's skin to have a big shine, to feel the sun beating down on them. There is an Ari masterclass on large formats, which I highly recommend, in which Laxton talks about how he enjoys lighting black skins because they there is the possibility of playing with colored light. Whilst white skin uh, reflects too much the light, so absorbs all the color, it works wonders on black skin. And I think this is very evident in Moonlight, as the actors look beautiful with these games of color reflections on their highlights. In, the, in an interview with Laxton at the Toronto International Film Festival, he says that, I quote, to achieve the colour on their faces, they had to do a lot of tests with the makeup artist, and they chose a makeup called Rose Hip. It seemed to have a shine and a quality that had this reflectivity, an elegant, beautiful shine that allowed the skins to register on camera. For inspiration, Jenkins and Laxton had in mind films of Wan Kar Wai and Spike Lee, which have very interesting colour choices in cinematography. Also, they looked at different photographers, uh, for example, Earl Hundle Jr. with his black and white visions of African-American life and how he depicted and framed his black characters. And on the artistic front, the eye-popping colors and more abstract beauty of Vivian Sassen's pictures were another major influence. Laxton and Jenkson, similarly to those bold images in films, decided to push the contrast in every single scene using a single source of light scheme with no fill light, so the light will fall off into the shadows and sculpt the characters' faces. He says in an interview at TIFF, If this movie looks soft and delicate, I don't think we would be here. You guys wouldn't be sitting there, we wouldn't be talking about this movie right now. It's the intensity, it's its, it's, its authenticity and the power that that raw white has that played a big part for it, on it. Alex Bickle, who graded Moonlight at color, uh, color Correction post-production, Bickle created three different LUTs that emulated the color characteristics of three different film stocks, one for each chapter of the character's life, giving each their own look. He says that it's very important that Laxton did not underexpose parts of the frame 
with as with such harsh lighting, they could have lost a lot of detail in the shadows, but thankfully they didn't. It was very obvious when you know about these three different looks that they're very different in the three parts of the film, but at first when watching the film, the three look so fitting to the story that you, I barely noticed it. As when the character grows up, the color changes too. Alex Bickle says in an interview, uh, quote, if a movie is good, I'm not thinking about color. And I think that's very true for this one. However, once I re-looked at the film with this in mind, it was obvious how drastically different the three parts of the film look. And it emphasizes the journey that Sharon takes, I think. The first lot was to emulate the Fuji film stock, which Brickle says is a little warmer and brings out a lot of texture in the skin tones, brings out lush greens and blues. The second lot, which uh, emulates an old uh, German film stock called Akfa, which is known for adding cyan to the highlights, makes things look uh, seem a little off kilter and uh, gives the middle section of moonlight a greenish blue hue. The third lot uh, was a modified Kodak stock, which Brickle says is less restrained and provides more pop and shine to the image and gives this more polished Hollywood look. And I think also had a very golden um, uh, element to the highlights. Miami is an inherently colorful place like Laxton. We were able to saturate colors and bend hues to enhance things. Colorist agrees, saying, I quote, it feels heightened. It takes you to a supernatural place. An important color choice was the jarring hot pink LED tubes used for the first part time in a heart-stopping sequence with Sharon's mother and consequently in his nightmares. I quote, Laxton says, this moment has so much weight on it. No words are spoken and the two characters are just staring at each other. Both mother and daughter are partially broken. Fear, love and hate coexist at the same time. To do this, we went from for a very soft overhead dramatic lighting with accents of color, one of these being the pink light in the background behind the character Paula. These pops of color offer beauty and map to understand the full existence of our characters. Apparently they found that color on set and Laxton says in an interview, we discovered that the hue, the hue shooting scene and it just did things for us. It feels both angry and sexual, sensual at the same time. But beyond that, the color signals moments when Sharon breaks from reality. The pink color is repeated in a dream sequence as Sharon faces his real sexual desires for Kevin, another key element uh, when his identity is forged. Another beautiful moment in the film, I think, is when Sharon puts his face in the frozen water and then looks into the mirror camera and he's all blooded on his face with, and there's this strong cyan lighting reflected on his skin in the highlights and also on the black backdrop. In this moment, he decides he's going to be tough and become the character Black. Laxton says, I quote, we needed an image that had that aggression of the character's state of mind. The green hues, the flicker of the fluorescent lighting enhance the slow motion, the camera movement to give us uh, the feeling of a, heartbroken, of a heartbroken with violence. Sharon has changed forever in the preceding scene. Here we wash away the old Sharon and introduce a new one. That scene is really powerful and it repeats when the character Black puts his face in the same water and, and it's really beautiful. I think this film is really important in terms of cinematography, in terms of its content and the story is incredible and I think anyone should watch it. 
um, considering the time we're in as well with the anti-racist movement taking space in the media, this is a very valuable story and, we're, and I think we should be all very thankful that it's been brought to the public. There are many, many stories like this one and I definitely think there's not enough stories like this one and we should just be promoting them and have more of them, I hope. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. Um, if you have any recommendations for the next film I should look at, let me know. If uh, you have any comments on on the podcast as well, please let me know. If you have anything that needs grading, also let me know. Uh, <laughs> hope you have a good uh, day and bye-bye.